My name's Tony. If you're a guest with us today, my name's Tony, and I'm the lead pastor here. If you're online with us today, and this is your first time, my name's Tony, and I'm the lead pastor here. Um, I, uh, I've been out of the saddle for three weeks now. I took two weeks vacation after Easter, and then as many of you know, I was going to preach last week, and my family and staff got on my case because I did something last Saturday. You know, I married off my daughter. Um, and I didn't realize how emotionally, like, you know, and physically, and I was exhausted. So Pastor Brett stepped up and did a great job uh, for us last week, and thanks for that. So I'm back in the saddle today. Uh, we're going to continue in our series on um, the outsiders, belong, believe, become. Today we're going to talk a little bit about becoming, becoming. Um, I'm going to let you in on a little secret of mine, and maybe it's not a secret. Maybe those of you that know me, the, know me well, you know this about me. Um, but I'm going to get very personal today at the start of this, and, and I'll tell you why here in a moment. But I struggle with something. Um, we all have struggles, right? Things that we try to overcome and things that control and things. That like. But I struggle with something in my life. I struggle with feelings of insignificance. I don't know why. My parents loved me. They told me they loved me. My parents were great, grew up in a Christian home. I've read the Bible. I know that we're worth so much to God. But there's just something about my life, my personality. I don't know if something, maybe somebody, a teacher or kids, maybe I got made fun of. I don't know why, but I struggle with feelings of insignificance. Maybe that's why I was such an overachiever in junior high and high school. And what I mean by that is I didn't overachieve in everything, but I found one thing that I could. And for me, it was basketball. And so in junior high and high school, I wasn't, and those of you that know athletics, you know this, you, you know this type of player. I was not the most athletic on the floor, but I was not going to not be the best player on the floor. Does that make sense? I wasn't very athletic. And so I overachieved. I worked hard. My junior year, I got first team All-State in Illinois. That was a huge goal. Second, first team All-State my senior year. Won state championship my, my junior year, or my senior year. Got a scholarship, went to college. So from junior high to end of college, basketball consumed me. And I was over an overachiever in that. All kinds of accolades and stuff like that. Maybe it's why I'm an overachiever with education. A high school diploma wasn't enough for me. I wanted to have a bachelor's. I got a bachelor's. That wasn't enough for me. I got a master's. Now I have a master's, and I'm not a master of anything. I have this thing in me that I, I'm an overachiever because I feel like if I don't do my best, some, everyone won't accept me, Right? Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, Pastor, that's pretty personal. And it is. And let me tell you, I thought hard this week about sharing this with you. Because I know some of you, you're not spiritually mature. Don't take this the wrong way. You're not spiritually mature to know that about me. I run a risk that you're going to use that against me. I'm running the risk that you're going to throw that back in my face. Or you're going to judge me or say something about me behind my back, which none of you ever do, right? I run a big risk of sharing that very personal struggle that I have. God knows this about me, and I know he knows it because I talk to him all the time about it. And it's kind of like Paul's, that thorn in the flesh that God gives you that 
He doesn't just take it from me because he just, it's what he uses to keep you humble, right? And that's a personal thing for me. And I, and I know I run a risk of sharing it, but here's why I shared it. Because if you'll tune in for the next 20 minutes with me, and as I walk through this feeling of insignificant, because the truth of the matter is, I'm not alone here. I know that you struggle with this too. I know that all of you, you know they tell us the Gen, the, the gen um, Millennials and down to the Gen Z, gen, the Millennials and Younger have this craving to be significant. They, they want to do something great with their life, right? They have no clue how to do it, but they, they want to do something awesome. They want to change the world. They, they fight for causes. They join causes because they want to do something that makes a difference. And I think we're all there. But we all struggle with these feelings like, my life doesn't have meaning or purpose. I'm not significant. I've not done any great things. But if you'll tune in with me for just about 20 minutes, I'm going to share with you out of John chapter 15, the words of Jesus. Jesus speaks to us in John chapter 15. And I know that you struggle with this because as a pastor, I see people and I meet people and I talk to people and I have friends that aren't Christians and I see them doing it. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, here's, here's what I know is that we go to all the obvious things in our world to find significance. In our search to be important, in our search for happiness, in our search to feel like my life has meaning and purpose, we go to all the normal things. Relationships. I mean, how many people said, I do, thinking that that's going to make you important or significant, or people will accept you, or your life's going to get so much better, and then the honeymoon is over. I don't mean to scare you, Kyle and Lauren. I think they're in the kids' room. Lucky them, because I was going to embarrass them today and have them stand up. Um, she's my daughter, so I can do that. I'd never do that to anybody else. But we think that that relationship, we turn to relationships because, oh, if I can only be in that relationship, if, they, if they'll only, they'll accept me, they'll love me. And we also turn to other things like money, Right? I don't know how many people have this attitude, and I had it myself growing up, that I, if I can just get more, then I can really make a difference. Yeah, when I'm making more, then I'll start to give. When I'm making more than I need, then I'll start to help out at this organization or that organization or give to my church. When I'm at a certain money level, when I reach my goal, when I hit the more enough, you know, when I'm just like rolling in it and I don't need any more, then I'll start to give it away. And so we go on the search. And here's the problem. Enough is never enough with money. And so we find people who have reached so much And yet they're so unhappy. They really are. They're unhappy. Their life doesn't feel significant. They don't feel like they're doing anything that has meaning and purpose. And so we turn to these things, right? And we turn to these things to try to make us feel 
important or loved or accepted or whatever that is. And then I thought this week of a really strange thing we turn to. We turn to religion to feel important. We turn to religion to find significance and meaning and purpose. You say, well, what do you mean? I, well, of course we turn to religion. I mean, some of you, you come to church because you feel like God will be happy with you if you do, and he'll not be happy with you if you don't. And so we turn to religion. Here's the thing about religion. All religions sort of have the same goal in mind, that we would be better people, that we would reach a goodness that would be acceptable to our God. That's sort of what religion is. It gives you a way to practice your religion. So we get sucked into the doing and not doing, the doing and the not doing, because we feel like we create sacred spaces, places, we create sacred texts, we create sacred habits, and we go to these things thinking that if I go to this sacred place, I'll be accepted. If I read this sacred text, I'm going to be important. If I practice these habits, I'm going to find joy and happiness and I'll reach my goals. And so we get sucked into thinking that religion, that true happiness and true joy comes from practicing our religion. And this is where it's a fine line. That can be true in some cases. But we get caught up into that. And there are people, maybe even in this church, who have been practicing their religion for years. And you still feel that your life doesn't matter. You still feel like you've not done some great thing with your life. That it's out there. That you're going to achieve that some day. Well, Jesus spoke ex- specifically about this issue. Before I get into John chapter 15, I want you to know this. The disciples are about to feel what it's like to be insignificant. Jesus is coming to the end of his life. He is now doing his last go around with his disciples, his last teachings before he's crucified. We know that the disciples thought, this is the guy, right? This is the dude. I mean, we're going we're gonna to run with this guy because he is the king, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. From, and, we're just, and you know how we know this? Because other places in the Gospels, they argued over who was the greatest. They argued over who was the greatest. They knew they were on the inside circle, and they knew they had a one-way track to greatness and importance. Because they were close to the king. We also know that they argued over who was going to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. So we know that the disciples felt important, They felt significant. They felt like on the edge of something great. And Jesus pulls them aside and begins to teach them this lesson about greatness, about happiness, about joy, about fulfillment, about meaning and purpose in life. And it had nothing to do with earthly greatness. He pulled them aside because they are about to experience insignificance. And they say, well, what do you mean? In just a a week or so, Jesus is going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be crucified as a criminal, as a a, uh, a rebel, a revolutionary, 
and all of his followers who thinks he's the king and he's going to roll into Jerusalem and take over and we're going to be right there and we're going to be important doing some big stuff for the kingdom. And Jesus is arrested, tried, put to death on a cross and buried in the ground. They're about to know what it means to be insignificant. <laughs> They're going to go from arguing over who's going to stand at his right and left, and they're about to go and argue over, don't hide here, this is my hiding place. They run for their lives. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 5. Jesus pulls them aside, knowing that this is about to happen, and he says this, I am the true vine, grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. Next. Just keep going through them. There you go. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. Oh, fruit. Isn't that what we want? We want fruitful lives. We want our lives to be important and significant, right? He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. Okay, I just got a little nervous. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Why? So that they'll produce more fruit. Next. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Don't worry. I accept you. The words that I've given you, the gospel news, the good news is that God accepts you. And you've been pruned already for that. Listen. You have already been pruned. Next verse. Remain in me. Some of your Bibles say, abide in me. I use this translation because we don't normally go, unless you're in the church, people don't go around saying abide, abide in me. We don't say, we don't use the word abide very often. So it's the same meaning, to remain in me. And I will remain in you. Oh, are you going somewhere? Yeah, I am. For a branch cannot produce fruit. Okay, now we're getting back to the fruit. We're getting back to the subject of the, the morning. We want a life that produces fruit, that's significant, that's important, that has purpose. We want to look back in our life and see good fruit, not bad fruit. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Can't get any clearer than that. Those who abide or remain in me and I in them will, not maybe, will produce fruit. <laughs> Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What does it mean to produce fruit? fruit. I think in the church many times we've taken this to mean win people for Jesus. And that's part of it, yeah. But it even goes a little further than that and deeper than it. I think to produce fruit is to build a life in the kingdom that others enjoy and find refreshment. I mean, think about an apple tree. Have you ever walked through an apple grove or an orange grove, some kind of fruit tree, and the fruit is 
big and ripe and you pull it off. Isn't that awesome? You just get that incredible feeling when you pull that fruit off. I think having a fruitful, to produce fruit, is to build a life that is blessing the world. To produce fruit. So what does it mean to abide or remain? Let me start by telling you what it doesn't mean. I think in the church, if you've been around the church and religious, we have always kind of equated, or at least I have, that abiding in Jesus is doing everything you need to do to be a Christian. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray every day. You've got to have quiet time. You've got to go to church when the doors open. You've got to give to the church. You've got to volunteer somewhere. You know, you have this list. And we think that abiding in Jesus is doing our religious duty. Those things are critical. They are means of grace, and we grow up when we do those things. But that is not abiding in Jesus. You say, well, I don't understand. Well, I'm going to explain that here in a minute. Abiding in Jesus is not doing your religious things, your practices, your habits. Those are great things, and they should be changing and transforming and challenging you. But those are kind of like the fertilizer of the fruit tree. It's not the producing fruit. If you're not abiding in Jesus by simply doing those things. To abide means this. John 15:10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Commandments just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in you. When we obey the commandments of God, we're abiding in Jesus. We're remaining in Jesus. When we do what He says, what commandments? Next verse. Verse 12. This is my commandment. Glad He gave us that, right? Because at that point in the story, I'm thinking, okay, what's your commandments? I mean, the Ten Commandments? No. What's your commandment? This is my commandment, he says. Listen, don't miss this. To love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Abiding in Jesus has nothing to do with your religious practice, but it has everything to do with the love in your heart Toward your brothers and sisters. To abide in Jesus. To love in the same way. Well, okay, I want to love you the same way Jesus loved me. How did Jesus love me? Next verse. There is no greater love, listen, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Oh, now we're getting into the problem, the trouble with knowing God. To know God is to abide in Jesus. To abide in Jesus is to obey His commandment. What is His commandment? Love your neighbor as I have loved you. Ooh. Well, I'll send them a card. I'll call them and tell them how much they're important they are to me. That's loving them, right? Hmm part of it. Lay down one's life for one's 
friends. Listen to this. This is what the, the main point I want you to get this morning. Next slide. Next slide. True happiness, true meaning, true purpose, true fruit, the best fruit in your life in, is not found in what you gain to make your life better, but it's in what you lose to make others' lives better. I'm going to say that again. True happiness, reaching your significance, has nothing to do with your bank account, your education, your accolades, your job, your career, your standing in the community. It has nothing to do with any of that because all of that is gained for you but it has everything to do with what are you losing? What are you laying down for your brother and sister so that you might better their lives? So the question for us this morning is, are you abiding? Are you abiding? And here's the trouble with knowing God. To love you in the way Jesus loved me is hard. To lay down what I want, to lay down my dreams, my money, my time, my resources and talents, instead of using all of that to lift me up and to better my life, what am I willing to lay down and give up to better someone else's life? That is abiding in Jesus. And listen, that is the secret to fruit in your life. That is the secret to significance. I believe Jesus said it another way. Those who are first will be last, and those who are last shall be first. Your greatness does not come from anything but your servanthood toward your brother. To know is to abide, and to abide is to love. We refuse to lay down our lives and our goal because my time, my talent, and my resources are mine. There is bad fruit on our trees this morning. I know there is because there is in mine. There are broken relationships that need to be mended. Someone in your life has hurt you and you need to forgive them. You can't have a fruitful life if you don't fix your relationships. Why? Because abiding in Christ is loving one another. There are broken relationships. There are secrets in your life that are hurting your marriage. And they go untold. It's eating you up like a cancer. There are lonely widows who remain lonely. There are suicidal co-workers who just wonder if someone notices but it would take a lot for us to stop and give up my time to listen. 
There's lost teenagers in this church that wonder if there's a place for them in this community. There's all sorts of things and ways in which we can lay down our lives for one another. But this is what it means to abide. John, in another book, 1 John, he wrote, said it this way. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Listen, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves as a child of God and knows God, listen, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The trouble with knowing God is that we have to love one another for that to happen. God showed how much He loved us by sending His only one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. Listen, how do you abide in Jesus? How do you get back to that kind of love? Here's how you do it. Beth, you're going to come up. We're going to lead in song. But I want you to hear this. Here's how you get back to where you need to be abiding in Jesus. Are you ready? Go back to that moment when your life changed. Not because of some great thing you did, but because you realized in that moment God spoke to you, embraced you, and loved you for who you are. Think about who you were before you came to Jesus. You were not lovable. Let me just say that. You did not deserve it. It was not something that you earned. But out of His grace, His unmerited favor, go back to that moment where you communed with Jesus and you realized He accepts you. He forgives you. He loves you. Listen. When you realize how much Jesus loves you, it's impossible to not love one another. When you truly understand that kind of love, it's impossible to not love one another. So as we sing this morning, this song, I want you to remain seated. But, God speaks to you this morning that there's some bad fruit growing on your tree, rotting on your tree. Stand up and just worship the Lord and go back to that moment that you realized that He loves you. Change our hearts, Jesus. Transform us into that perfect love. Help us realize that we cannot know you if we don't love each other. One.